There's only two outcomes. You're an idiot and you say that, in which case it's point, point proved. <laughs> or you sit there frozen for an hour while I can just absolutely smash it and tell you exactly what you're doing wrong. Welcome to another instalment of What Matters, a podcast series inspired by a book of the same name. It's a book that navigates one man's lifetime of business and investing. I'm your host, Adam Spencer, and as always, I'm joined by that man. He's the author of What Matters, chairman of the Sydney Swans, and the co-founder of Molus Australia, which now, of course, has been rebranded as MA Financial Group. Andrew Pridham. A fascinating concept for me because, yes, self-evident, important, but actually quite subtle to unpack. You start with a an interesting and important observation. Leadership is relatively difficult to even define or identify. Tell me more about that. Well, I think because so many different people have different ways of leadership, there's not a, a mould that you can say, this is what a leader is. I don't think you can necessarily even be trained to be a leader. I think it's either in you or it isn't. Um, and I think that the importance of leadership really is leading by example. And that's that's what I've I talk about a lot in the book, and I'm always impressed by people who do lead by example because it's all about showing people this is the way forward, this is the way I do things, and, and uh, being a role model. I think that's that's pretty important. You, you say that the key to great leadership is simple: behave in a way that causes others to want to follow you. I think that's right. If people want to follow you, then you're ninety percent of the way there. If people feel that the direction that you want to take or the way you go about things is not what suits them or they don't like it or you can't inspire them, they're not going to follow you. So it's very important that people want to follow you. You can't make people follow you. Rarely are leaders loud, constantly espousing motivational words to their team. That's rarely a great leader. So the Hollywood cliche of the sort of Anthony Robbins type personal motivation demagogue, that that's not the successful Way for leadership? Look, it could be, but often, in my experience, leaders are people who you might not immediately identify as a leader. They are very, they might be very quiet. They might just go about their business. But if if the people who they work with um, and they lead in their way respect them, and that could be respect them because they're very, very good at what they do. Uh, they might be very good at dealing with people. That they're very understanding, a lot of empathy then they can be great leaders. They don't necessarily have to be shouting from the rooftops, Napoleonic-type leaders. Um, clearly, some are. Winston Churchill, for example. You're not going to have Winston Churchill running every business or football club, um, thank God. But there's different types of leadership. So I think the important point, really, that I'm making is that uh, leaders come from the strangest of places, Adam. You talk a lot about the leader has to be seen to be willing to be part of the hard work, not just delegating to other people. I used to do a breakfast radio show, and one of the real challenges is just the sheer physical time of day and the impact that can have on people. And I had a philosophy. I had three producers on my show, and if they were inspired and on the same page, and if, if there was a time of day where they could go home if they wanted, they'd done enough, but they thought, if I stay another half hour and edit that a bit more, it's just going to sound so much better the having them in a position where they were willing to work hard to essentially make me look better was the part of the equation. And one rule I had was I was always, I was the first one there. We had a news break at four in the morning. I was always there before the four o'clock news. The other guys came in at about 10 past four. And on the rare occasions I wasn't going to be there first, I let them know the night before. It was just a gesture that I thought was important to make it clear I'm, I'm willing to go as hard as you guys have to on, on that really important front. 
Look, I think that's leading by example, really, isn't it? So I think it's incredibly important that you are prepared as a leader to roll your sleeves up and be in the trenches. And that, that's a lot about respect. It's about setting example. But you can't, you know, you can't expect others to do things that you won't do. And one of the um, observations I've had over many years of, of watching people that I've worked with is that there's many pretenders in leadership. There's people who they're great at doing PowerPoint presentations. They talk about all the things that their department's doing. They can show you graphs and they can show you, you know, numbers and they talk about the deals and this and that. But what are they lacking? What they're lacking is when they're telling you that, you know that their team is sitting there rolling their eyes thinking, <laughs> you know, I'm surprised he knows all this or she knows all this because we never see them at, you know, two in the morning when we're, when we're really working hard on something. Um, they turn up to the, in an in in investment banking sense, they turn up to the pitch to win the business, not seen again until the celebration dinner and not there in the really hard moments. And that's, that's what leadership's about. It's the respect of your team to say, you know, I'm not just going to tell you what to do. I'm actually going to help you do it. And I'm going to be there when you do it. You'd say that many people develop the leadership skills over time. And that's why a lot of the time in the business world, leaders are you know, amongst the more mature of the workforce. But you were managing director at UBS at just 28. Were you ready for that? Was that a challenge at that age? Well, we only had two employees. So <laughs> no. um, in, some ways I, I, in some ways, I was ready. In some ways, I wasn't. I mean, it's... You know, leadership, if you've got a, a big role to play, and, and football's a very good example when the leaders are, you know, in their, you know, often in their early 20s. Mm. There are some aspects of you that are ready and some aspects that are not. The, the emotional side of it, I think, is, is, you know, I always found challenging because there's a huge amount of pressure. And if you're responsible for a lot of people and running, you know, quite significant businesses at, at, a, at a young age, it's a lot of pressure. And so that, that part of it's hard. But the actual technical part, of the job, not that hard. If you know, if you know what you're doing, I think at times it can be difficult leading people. For example, if you're 28 and you're you're the boss of someone who's 50, mm. that can be difficult. It just creates a, an unusual dynamic. But you you know you get on with it, and if you're honest with people, and I think one of the things I always I always think about leadership is you can be honest and you can and you can tell people you know I don't know what to do here this is hard what do you think and that concept of vulnerable leadership Brené Brown and all that very big in in management circles at the moment that concept of being able to admit to the group you have to help me here yeah. I, I don't know what the answer is are we more open to that from leaders these days than we might have been 10 20 years ago was it the bulletproof alpha male type back then yeah, I don't know I, th I think people now are a lot more straightforward. That'd be an observation I'd make than probably 20, 30 years ago. I think people sort of have realised that there's no point in not being straightforward. I mean, some people aren't straightforward, but, um, you know, I'm often, often of the view and I often say to my team, you know, I don't know what to do. Um, happens constantly. It wouldn't be a day would go by where I wouldn't say, you know, I really, I don't know what we should do. What, what do you think we should do? And, you know, the hard thing, that the lonely thing about being a, a leader ultimately is it's your decision. Mm. And uh, that can be really difficult. And, and there's been many instances, you know, in, in whether it's in business or sport with, you know, myself, where, you know, you do have nights where you, you're sort of lying in bed and you think, you know, what is the right thing to do here? And you, But at the end of the day, you've got to make a decision. The important thing, once you've made it, that's it. Mm -hmm. This is what we're doing. 
What about when you, you've worked out a decision you have to make? This, this is the right decision, or in your mind it is, but you know it's going to be deeply unpopular. I can imagine you know, individuals being, you know, having to let individuals go or making decisions around a certain corporate direction or, or making a decision not to do something that people want to do. What's the, what's the secret to making the tough calls? as a leader, the, the, the ones you know are not yeah. going to be popular with at least a portion of people. Yeah, look, that's, again, that happens reasonably frequently, not every day, but I think you've just got to be honest with people because when you're in a leadership position and you're making decisions, you're always having people advocating for one outcome or another, and they're often different outcomes. And, and in a part of leadership is being able to weigh up the facts and, and then with fairness, I think, and conviction say, we're going to go down this path now. How do you deal with that when there's disappointment and, and it's unpopular, deeply unpopular, and, and that often is actually saying we're not going to do something. Someone might have worked really hard on something, looking at something, wanting to do it. And in their mind, this is absolutely the way to go. They've absolutely committed time and resources to it. Yep, You that's, have to hit it on the head. That's it. And that often happens where you need to say no. And that's for me, that's always difficult because I'm someone that wants to do things. I, mm. I always want to do things. You know, I'm positive and I say, let's do this, let's do that. And to have to say to somebody who's put their heart and soul into something, you know what, we're not going to do that. We can't do that. I think you've just got to explain why, be honest, it's difficult, and move on. And, and the same with you know, probably the most difficult decision. I heard Warren Buffett say this. In fact, the most difficult thing he finds in business is when you have to let somebody go who's been mm. with you for a long time. And that's you know, extremely difficult. Mm. Um, but... These are the decisions that you have to make as a leader, and if, you, if you're not prepared to make them, then you can't be a leader. You make the point that in the same way that leadership evolves in some people as a skill over time, once they get there and have those skills, it can wither and die as well, can't it? What's, what, what are some of the pitfalls that people who get to positions of being strong leaders make who eventually you know, let that skill rot from the inside? Um, just give me a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the, the thing about anything in life but you know certainly leadership is you've got to keep doing it and that's easier said than done and I think a lot of people in in, in leadership positions and you see it you know sports a great example where where you have coaches who might be great coaches they might win premierships the players would do anything for them and then they you hear, heard the phrase they lose the players yeah and for people who don't follow sport that is the beginning of the end for a coach. If it's incredibly careless to lose the players. <laughs> yeah. you know? I had them here in the bus a minute ago. And they're big. <laughs> it's hard to lose them. But, but they do lose them. And, and it can be for a whole range of reasons. Oh. It can be just losing the intensity, the, the work ethic, you know, getting lazy, cutting corners. Um, it's just, and, it, and it's hard because in a leadership position, you've got to get up every day and lead. And that, that's tiring. And if you get to a point where... You can't be bothered. And, you know, I think that's when it can drop very quickly because people that are looking to their leaders for inspiration, they quickly pick up if the intensity drops off. And that's, you know, when I stepped down as CEO of, of Molus last year, one of the reasons was I felt that it was the right time because mm. I felt that the intensity that I had was changing. It hadn't changed completely, but it was changing. And it was time. Well, you had a sort of inkling the hunger wasn't quite there the, hun the hunger's there but it's the small things that you know you start small things start becoming a chore which normally I would just wouldn't think about and I started to think I owe it to people who work for me to do those small things and I now don't want to do them as much as I used to so it's time like it's time to have a different role 
bring people in who will leap out of bed in the morning to do those small things. And I think if if you hang on too long, the coach who loses the players, that's when you fall into problems. And it's but it's very hard if if you're ambitious and you you know you're a leader and you want success and you enjoy the buzz, to admit to yourself. You know, I, it's time for me to have a different role because I can't quite do that. I remember with Breakfast Radio, myself and Will Anderson on Triple J, and, and our position was we could we could do one more year here. We've, we've got another year in us, I'm pretty sure. But if we went one too long with something like that, you'd hate the last six months of it so much, you'd forget why the first five years or six years had been so much fun. And, and when you made that decision, was it just a click, boom, yes, I'm going, perfect decision? Was there nagging doubts but was there a moment where you realized yeah that's it oh that takes a long time to come to those decisions and to realize within yourself that that's that's the right thing to do and it's it's talking to a lot of people around you and um being sure because you know we all have our ups and downs and i say to anyone in a that works in any career um you have your ups and downs you know there's, there's there are times when you don't feel motivated you know you feel flat you just don't you don't have the vibe and it typically comes back quite quickly and it's just the way life is. But you look at long-term trends and you can say, well, you know, I'm getting to a point where I want to do something a bit different and that's not necessarily being the leader. It's, it might be a leader but not the leader. Just a quick stop during today's conversation because I wanted to remind you if you're enjoying what you're hearing and would like to learn more, you can head over to mafinancial.com slash whatmatters to access your copy of the What Matters ebook, a book that navigates a lifetime of business and investing. That website again, mafinancial.com slash whatmatters. Now, back to the conversation. You talk about the people around you and part of the whole What Matters looks on the concept of building great teams. And this is another thing that's sort of self-evident but really difficult. Obviously, you should build the best team possible. Obviously, you should surround yourself with the best people possible. But as you say, a lot of the time hiring is a bit like the television program Married at First Sight, hashtag maths. Tell us more about that, the challenge of, of hiring people. Well, when you start a business, it can be relatively easy because often people will hire people they know, people they've worked with in the past, and you can have reasonable confidence. But as, as you get bigger in business or in anything, you start having to hire people who you don't know. And I found it an extremely difficult process because most people in an interview present very well. Mm. In their CV, it's going to be impressive. Uh, they'll give you references to speak to unless the person is a complete idiot will give you references from people who are going to be very positive. <laughs> so you can be fooled and you can, and even if you're hiring somebody who you have worked with in the past or might be a friend, you don't quite know how they're going to go in that specific role in that specific year. And I, I know many people I've worked with in the past who I then work with in the in the future, and they're different. You know, their their lives have changed. Their you know their motivations are different, and you think, well, they were great ten years ago, and now they're not so great. So it is challenging, and you know you have to be aware of that that you're not going to get a hundred percent strike rate. To use the sporting analogy for people who are familiar with the sport of AFL, for example, if your club's going to hire a new player, and one of the very best small fullbacks in the game comes on the market, but you've already got two pretty good small fullbacks. There's no point grabbing that man or woman and playing them out of position 
you might actually have to get not quite as good a player who is a specialist in a different you, you talk a lot about yeah. playing people in their best position that can be challenging in something as fluid and complex as a medium-sized organization can't it? it it can and i'm i'm a huge believer in playing people in the right position and i could give you many many examples where some you know we've had somebody working with us who in a particular role is absolutely struggling that is not going to get there and you know i'm always looking for people like that who are good people they've got a lot of skill but they're, they're in the wrong position and then trying to figure out rather than saying the lazy decision often is to say that person's no good let's just fire them the right decision often is to say where could they be far more effective and some of our you know within our business today i can tell you some of our very best people will move from a different role and they're now absolutely killing it but you warn you have to be careful because too many sideways moves weakens both the organization the culture of the organization in general and probably suggest that person's not really up to it? If somebody's not up to it, uh, and you see this over and over and over, they can be moved from job to job, role to role. Typically, it's someone who's a good person. They might be you know, good fun to be with or whatever, and so no one wants to make the hard decisions, so they're moved around. Um, or it might be somebody who's you know, just nobody wants to work with, so they're moved around. <laughs> um, I can give you many, many examples of that. But... That's, again, very lazy management and it always ends badly and it just, it's not good for the person that's, that's sort of shuffled around an organisation and it's certainly not good for the culture of the organisation because people can see it from a mile away. If it's a high-profile hire, if your organisation comes out and brings in someone that within your industry makes real news, great get, and it turns out it's not right, is there sometimes an issue of, egg on the face or the bruised pride, if you let that person go six months later, 12 months later, you're publicly saying, oh, we screwed that. We got that badly wrong. Is there a, a temptation to keep that person and find something for them to do and just even wait for a period of time so it doesn't look so, doesn't reflect so badly on yourself when you let them go? I think there's a great temptation to do that. And, uh, you know, I, I would say that from a personal perspective, that wouldn't be a motivating force for me. If I, I would make a decision, I don't worry too much about how things look. I worry about you know how they are, and you know I, I think you just have to make the right decisions. And uh, but you know if, if you start worrying about how things look when you're dealing with people issues, I think you're on the wrong path to start with. You list some key points that great leaders should look to hire people who exhibit the following traits: integrity, hard working, encouraging of others, intellectually excellent positive outlook, you note yourself you don't have ambitious as a core characteristic there. Let's talk about personal ambition. Why is that not on I, the list? I thought a lot about that and clearly there are base traits that you, you know, I think it's, people have to have. It's very important that people are, are fair and they work hard and all those sorts of things, good ethics. But the, the, the point of ambition I thought very hard about whether that's an important characteristic for somebody to hire somebody. And it is an important characteristic, but it's not essential. And the reason I have that view, which I think is probably one of the more controversial things that yeah. I might talk about, um, probably why you've picked it up. It did leap out because I, pre I presume in the sort of industry you're in, 
you need people who want to conquer the world individually day in, day out. Yeah, and in any in any walk of life, you've got to have people who do roles that might not be that sexy and they might not have a lot of ambition to progress. People, you know, we've got people in our business here who turn up every day, they get out of bed, they get on the bus or they get in here, they do their job and they're not ambitious. They don't come to my office door and say, I want a promotion, I want to do this, I want to do that. They just do their job, they do it well. They still have great pride in doing that job as well Very good at their job, what they do, very valuable. They go home, they've got their family, they, you know, good people. They're not ambitious. You know, they're happy doing what they're doing. And I think they can be some of the most valuable people because they are, provide great continuity within a business. They, you know, you can rely on them. They're not going to make mistakes. They know exactly what they're doing. And that's fine if they're playing their role. You talk about the important process of having to give feedback to people, which when someone's doing great, I'm sure is a great meeting and a lot of fun and, and quite rewarding for both. And, and you can take the mickey a bit. But when you're giving feedback to someone where you're starting to worry if that person's really got it or if that person should be here, what's the process of, I mean, there must be, there must be a period in a lot of these cases where the ship can be turned around. What's the secret as a leader to getting yeah. that right? We'll get eventually to someone who you've just got to let go, but it's, when it's, you're in that grazer. It's difficult and it's very hard turning the ship around, particularly my view is once someone's over the age of 30, for example, very difficult to change behaviours. Um, so if someone's not exhibiting the behaviours that you expect, then that is challenging. I always joke that I give real-time feedback. You don't need to wait for an annual review yeah. from me. And I don't say that in a in a um, bullying sense, or but just giving people constant feedback. This I'm a big believer in it. And that can be positive reinforcement, doing a great job, but also can be, you know what, that's not really good enough. You need to focus on this and just give people the guidance. And usually the people who don't succeed are the ones that don't accept that feedback. They always have an excuse. It's, oh, it's, you know, no, no, you don't understand. This was, you know, and it's like, stop, stop, stop. And one of the techniques I developed many years ago in, in my early 30s in managing people. I like this. Um, this is a cracker. And this is this is in my performance reviews. And the first person I tried it on is actually now a very high profile uh, person, I won't name who it is, who reported to me and you know, there were a lot of issues, a lot of behavioural issues with this person in, in, not terminal, but they were, you know, there were Getting issues. There. there were issues. I had a file this deep. Uh, and for those listening at home, those hands are a fair yeah, way apart. fair way apart. Fair way. And my arms aren't that long. <laughs> uh, and this person would never take feedback. Mm. It was always an excuse. It was always someone else's fault. And so I, I thought long and hard about this review and I thought, how am I going to get through to this person? They because they'll just deny. They'll they just really deny. have to take me seriously because I'm getting to a point where I'm pretty friendly and pretty nice, but, but. when I snap, <laughs> it could be all over. And I didn't want that to happen. So the technique I developed, which I've used many times, is I started the review. And for those listening that aren't involved in big business, we have what are called 360-degree reviews. Mm. And of course, Adam, mathematician, you oh, can tell that's us. That's a full circle. It's almost a full circle, yeah. as I say. In a 360 review, what occurs for those that aren't familiar is you get reviewed by people who report to you, who are your peers, and those that you report to. So 
I sat down with this person and I said, um, this is in a, a technique, of course, which I can, I've copyrighted, uh, and said, one thing is clear in all of the reviews of you, Adam, and that is that you're incapable of taking constructive criticism. That leaves me in a situation where if I say, that's just not true, that's not the case. There's only two outcomes. You're an idiot and you say that, in which case it's point, point proved. <laughs> or you sit there frozen for an hour while I can just absolutely smash you and tell you exactly what you're doing wrong. Mm. And in that instance, for the first time, it actually, this person sat there and listened. And I was able to, in a constructive way, say, look, you know, you need to understand these things. And you know, I wouldn't say it miraculously changed them, but it had an impact because it actually made somebody think. Mm. And they think, I can't actually argue with that. So for anyone listening, if they go into a performance review anywhere else and the person doing the review leads with, my main concern is you can't take constructive criticism, they should instantly think, I've just been pridded. Yes. I have been pridded. Yeah. Asterisk, rights reserved, Andrew Pridham. Correct. When it comes to managing people in their own career progressions, which I presume must be one of the real challenges of a leader, both the individual expectations of wanting to go higher. Some people must want those things before they're ready. Some people are ready. Some people have got to their level and have to be told that or might be happy where they are. You refer to the pyramid progression, the idea being lots of people come in as graduates, then as you move up to executor, originator, originator and manager, and finally unicorn. I won't, I won't get into the, the, the granular of, of the definitions, but that managing from an organisation where you might take in dozens or over a few years, hundreds of starters, only a handful of which will even get to say level four on that five level pyramid. What are the governing principles in managing the people politics and the expectations and the business realities around that? Yeah, well, it's challenging because in anything in life, it's the law of large numbers. You, you start with large numbers and over time it whittles down to the very pointy end. And that, again, sport's a great example of that. You know, many kids, thousands of kids might play mm. a sport. Very few will make it to be elite professional players and, and business is no different. Even the people who are good enough to be drafted in something like the AFL, across the sum total of careers, of all the people who get signed up by AFL clubs, the average number of games played is a mere handful because many of the kids signed up never even play one game. Yeah, and it's very hard to pick because talent is only one ingredient in the in the cake of success. It's also hard work. It's, there's some luck involved. There's, there's a whole lot of things that, that go to someone becoming successful. And I think that what I've observed with people's careers and, and career progression is that the exciting thing for me, and I'm a big believer in this, if somebody's proven themselves and they're capable, I don't care if they're 21 or 51 or 61, if someone can do the job, I want to push them onto the next level of progression and I'll promote them. And one of the things when I got into banking, which, which I found very, very uh, distasteful, is there was a mentality, and there still is to a degree of mentality, people have to serve a number of years in a role before mm. they can go to the next level. Mm. And I just find that ridiculous. If some people can do a job 
And within six months, you go, they're ready to go to the next level. They're great. What about the people doing a similar job who've been there two years and haven't gone to the next level yet? That's the difficult part. The exciting part's promoting people early and, and seeing them progress. And everybody has a level where they just can't progress beyond. And it doesn't I don't care who you are. You can be the president of the United States. <laughs> One term, you can't go to two. Whoever that might be Whoever at, that at might this be. moment in yes. time. The point is that once somebody gets to a level and they can't progress, that that's where it gets a bit tricky. And you know, one of the things that I've seen many times, and I, I actually have sleepless nights about it, is when people within an organisation want to promote somebody because, you know, Adam's a great guy. You know, he's worked hard. He's been here a long time. He's been, he's been that role. He deserves. It's time. He it's deserves fair. a promotion. You know, he's, all the people around him have been promoted. He's great. You know, he's, he's, he should be, they, they advocate for them. And I often will sit there, and this is the, you know, this can be the unpopular decision, and say, you know, Adam is good, but I don't think he's ready for the next level. Do you understand that if we promote Adam, there's going to be a much higher expectation on what he has to deliver? And if he does that and he fails, there's not going to be any Adam. And feeling very personal, but yeah, yeah, well. But it is because because you've got pyramid progression. Exactly. I'll respond with the other alliteration, the Peter principle, as it's known, that people can get promoted to just their level of incompetence. Yeah. You suddenly go one too far and realise, oh, they can't do this anymore. Any suggestion, would you like to go back to your old? There's no way I'm going to have the public loss of face of going back. I'm quite happy where I am here. Thanks, mate. You can pay me out if you want. That PP is real, isn't yeah, it, the Peter principle? Absolutely real. And very few people can accept going backwards. Some can. I've got many examples where people have done that really well. And that's an admirable quality. I think it's a fantastic quality, and, and, but many people can't. And so the, the natural instincts of most businesses and most people in life is you only go up in the pyramid progression. Well, managing somebody who isn't capable of going up is challenging. And, and again, the only way you can do that, I find, is with honesty and saying to somebody, look, you're just not capable of going to the next step. Hope you're enjoying the What Matters podcast as much as we're enjoying bringing it to you. If you've listened across the series, you've picked up many great tips on how to be successful as a leader, as a business mind, and as a person. But if you've only just come to the podcast now, make sure you do go back and listen to those earlier episodes. In episode two, we talked about how to invest like a professional. Andrew sat down with MA financial guru, John Garrett, and talked dirty on how to make money. As Andrew acknowledged at the time, it involves a lot of things going right. I've got a really good analogy which can help people understand mm-hmm. compound. you do. And I do. Mm-hmm. And it's a 2020 example and that from one bat with COVID-19 or the coronavirus as originally was called, hundreds of millions of people have been impacted, billions of people impacted by COVID-19. And that's the power of compound. It can start with one and exponentially. I, I know you don't know much about mathematics, Adam, <laughs> but it's, it's actually extraordinary. And in the book, what matters to give it a plug I actually show some studies that have been done which show the the power of compounding and it's extraordinary. If people understand it, they'll understand why you shouldn't aim to get rich quick, you should aim to get rich slowly. That's episode two of What Matters, How to Invest Like a Professional. Make sure you check it out. Now, back to our conversation. A couple of things I'd love to get through in our remaining time. You talk about the bonds of trust, that crucial link between employer and employee. And you reveal what you think is possibly the most valuable senior hire 
anyone in your position can make. An experienced executive who's been a genuine victim of the breaking of the bonds of trust. How important are the bonds of trust and why is that such a ripe opportunity for someone to give someone else an, an, another chance? Yeah. Well, I think if you're hiring senior people, and I'm talking about reasonably senior people, it's always difficult because one of the first questions you ask if you're looking to hire somebody is, why do you want to join us? Why do you want to leave where you are? You're doing well, uh, you're well paid, you've been successful. Why do you want to come and join us? And you know, often people will give you the glib answer of, oh, you're great, I really just, I want the opportunity to work, you know, work for you. Always been an ambition of mine, oh, Andrew. You know, there's huge queues down the street, people wanting to work for me. And it's very easy to, to get sucked into that and say, I'll hire that person because they desperately want to leave where they are because they want to come work for me. But most people don't leave an organisation unless there's an issue. It might be about money, often it's about money, but it's also very often that they're not happy, they're not being managed well. Um, and the bonds of trust to me are the, the flashing lights of this is a person who we have to hire. And that's somebody who ticks every box, that they've been successful, they're really good, they've got a good reputation, but the organisation they work for, for whatever reason, might be in crisis, might just have a poor manager, who's just not good at managing people um, for a whole lot of reasons, and they've done something to this person, they've promoted somebody above them who they shouldn't have, or they've treated them poorly, they've paid them poorly, they've just managed them poorly, and this person just said, you know what, I've had enough. I don't want to work for this organisation anymore. I don't respect them. I don't like it. I don't like the person I work for. If you can hire somebody like that who's got a burning desire to succeed and they're really good, they're the best hires because you're getting them for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. Because often the wrong reason is talking about the pyramid of uh, progression is somebody who's not been promoted and they want to change jobs because they will then get that promotion. And the reason they haven't been promoted is because they're not up to it. I've seen this often when, you know, if, if people have left us over, over the years, which doesn't happen that often, thankfully, it's because they want that promotion. And you see them go to another organisation and you, you wish them the best. And as they leave with their box full of staplers and other items, you think this is going to be a train wreck and you watch it and it normally is. I want to wrap up with you make a point in your chapter about confront tension and conflict. And this is, again, I think we file this under easy to say, not as easy to do. I think most people on balance don't prefer being in conflict situations. Most people are comparatively conflict averse and the temptation is to avoid calling something out and having difficult discussions. It's obvious in theory the earlier you'll do it, the better that will probably be. Don't let things fester. That's that's an obvious principle. Is it a challenge sometimes for leaders to do something that on its face seems to be manifestly the right way to go about it? Huge challenge. Why? For the point you've raised, most people, unless unless they have a diagnosable uh, condition, which I'm sure many people do, by the way, <laughs> um, they don't like conflict. And it's easy to just say, oh, you know, just brush it away and say, oh, don't worry about that. Well, you know, you can do that to an extent. But if something is life threatening in an organization, behavior wise, then you have to confront it. And I've found over time that I've got better and better at this, I think. Mm -hmm. And if something's not right, if someone's behavior is wrong, 
um, confronting it and saying, look, there's no point hiding this and, and pretending it's not there. This has to change. We have to do this. And it's it's never easy. And, and you know, the way in which I try and approach it you know, as often as possible is get an agreed set of facts mm. because usually conflict is different people have different perspectives. Yep. I'll say to you, you're doing this wrong. This is not right. And you'll say, no, that's not right. It is right. The reason that's happening is because you're doing this. So get an agreed set of facts where we can sit down and say, okay, do we both agree that this is the, the circumstances? Once you've agreed the, the facts, I think you've then got a, a, a base where you can then resolve conflict and say, okay, well, we both agree this, so let's disagree these things, but let's do this. And it has to be something that's measurable to say, okay, if you can change and do this, then I'll do this and then we can both be happy, and then it's measurable, and then you have to keep following up. And I think if you do that and you don't do it in a, um, a overly aggressive way where you're actually being quite calm about it and mm. saying, look, you know, quite clinical, it can work really well. And one of the problems I often see is, and I, I'm quite clinical with conflict, I think. That's just my nature. Mm. A lot of people struggle with it because yeah. they get emotional, yeah. they, they grab sort of all sorts of mm. issues, and you can never resolve anything. And what happens then is you don't resolve it. I find a mistake I've certainly made in the past, not in the business sense, more, but more when I've had to confront conflict situations with a, a friend or a partner or something. I make the chess player's mistake of before we have the discussion, charting through in my mind exactly, I'm going to say this, she'll say that. That's good. I will then say this. And when she says that, I'll say this. If she says that, it's all right because I can say this. Five seconds into even making my opening point, there's a response, the conversation's gone off the rails, something I never even expect. And I've, I've already played the game in my head and then I'm floundering and you're saying get clarity over what you can control before the discussion even begins, have a base there and trying to keep the emotion out of it must be a big part of that. I think so. I mean, the first step I would do before, and I, I go through the same mind-playing roles, you know, that you do. I mean, we all do that. But what I would do before confronting conflict in a formal way is actually sit down and say, what is that person's perspective? Why are they doing what they're doing? What are the facts? Well, you know, what, what am I doing that's, that might be contributing to this? What are the facts? And facts are facts. They're not something, when I say facts, I'm talking facts, something you can say, point to it and go, this. It's not, you know, I feel that you don't respect me or this. That's hard to, that's not a fact, that's a feeling. You can point that growth was only at this level in the last yeah, quarter you know, in this section of the business. You know, the fact is your division has only generated this much revenue, and that's not good enough. What are we going to do about that? And they'll say, well, I need to hire more people, and you won't let me hire more people, so I can't generate that revenue. And so they're facts. And I say, no, I won't let you hire more people because your revenue is only there. If you get your revenue to you know, a higher level, then I'll let you hire people. And they say, well, I can't get to that higher level without hiring somebody. So, okay, you've got your facts. So then you can make decisions. You can say, all right, okay, I'll let you hire. What, who do you want to hire? What do you want to do? You can hire them. If you can get to that level, I'll pay you more and everyone will be happy. If you don't get to that level and you hire somebody, profitability drops, it's going to be a very bad outcome. Do you really want to do it? And you can then get to a level where you can actually make proper decisions. And by dealing... I was just sitting here thinking, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. No. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing how often somebody will start in this discussion saying, well, I need this to be successful. You need to... And you say, okay, you can have it. And then they go, I, I don't want it. I don't want it. <laughs> Take it back. But we should get rid of a few people. <laughs> you know, if, if you've got facts, it's very hard for people, unless, and again, unless they've got some sort of, you know, mental illness, most people can't 
dodge facts. It makes good sense to have the facts established, work purely on the facts, keep the emotion out of it. How do you? I mean, emotion is such a, a basic human state. If I'm the person on the receiving end of a thorough fact-based criticism from you, I'm going to emotionally respond. You are because for you, if you're the person being critiqued and there's conflict and I'm in a position of power and I'm the one who's delivering the message, it's very personal to you. It's mm. far less personal to the person who's making the critique. It's not easy and there's always emotion in any conflict or, or discussion. To me, I think the only way to do it is as the person giving the critique is not to be emotional and not be drawn, not be baited. Um, and some people are great at getting you to blow up and become emotional. And sometimes you do. I mean, I, I, I'd be lying to you if I said I don't get emotional or, or sometimes blow up at somebody because I do. And sometimes it's theatre, often it is, and sometimes it's real. And, but ultimately you're not going to resolve many things by screaming and shouting and becoming emotional. Um, and that's a key part of business and being a good leader and a good manager is you can be pretty calm and say, yeah, okay, just calm down. You know, here's the tissues. Let's sort it out. It'll all be okay. In wrapping this up, let me ask you just a couple of questions about yourself as a leader. And you've been you know, doing this for a while now in quite senior positions. Give me one thing that you would think would be a strength in your natural characteristic skill set as a leader. And what is something over time that you've had to work on that you you didn't necessarily bring at the level you have now? Probably one of my strengths is I, I don't take myself seriously. And I take what I do seriously, but I don't take myself very seriously. And I hope that comes through with people that, you know, I'm, I'm a human being. I'm not, I'll actually talk to somebody and, you know, I, I do care about people and I don't, you know, I'm not, um, you know, I think when people meet somebody like me, I don't know, they, they, they have an expectation that you might be very serious or... I'm not very serious and I think that's, you know, I can manage that. The things I've had to work on, I've had to work on everything. As a kid growing up, I wasn't a natural leader. I'm happy just to go with the, the flow. But you sort of, it just happens and then I think you've just got to embrace it and get better at, for example, speaking, you know, public speaking. You know, I, I don't like, I hate public speaking. But in the role I've, I've had in business and sport, I do it all the time. I have to. And as you know, Adam, you get better at it mm. as you do it doesn't mean you necessarily like doing it. And so there's things such as that, dealing with conflict's another good example. I hate conflict, but I've learned I can't lead if I don't deal with it because you've got to. We're going to drill a little bit deeper into personal management and managing your own career in a later episode of the What Matters podcast, and I can't wait to drill down into your personal journey, but let's park it there for the moment. In essence, leadership, what's your takeaway message about what leadership truly is? I think showing the way. I think to be a great leader, I think you've got to be optimistic you've got to, and you have to have a clear plan and you've got to live that plan and show people where they're heading and, and give them hope that you're going to get there. And if you can do that, I think you're 95% of the way there as a leader. If you're honest with people, you treat them fairly. Fair is a word I use very, very often you know, in business. Be fair. And if you're fair, and this is often say when you make an unpopular decision as a leader, you might not like it, but it's the right decision and it's a fair decision. And that's what we're doing. And then live it. Well, I think we've had a fair crack at unravelling people, management and leadership. Great to speak with you. Thank you for joining today's episode of What Matters. And don't forget, head over to mafinancial.com slash whatmatters to download your copy of the ebook. 
Be sure to subscribe to What Matters, and we'll see you next time when we share some winning habits and tricks of the trade with special guest Rhonda Brighton-Hall. That's next on What Matters. What Matters.